All right, uh, talking about prayers, let's talk about dangerous prayers this morning as we continue this series. Joel started last week and he was talking about bold prayers and the importance of, of praying kind of beyond our comfort zone. And, and this week we're going to talk about intentional prayers. We're going to talk about intentional prayers. Now before I kind of describe to you what intentional prayers are, I, I want to spend a little time talking about our prayers in general. Because there's a good chance that you and I fall into certain categories when it comes to the type of prayers we pray. Now, again, there, there's all kinds of, uh, of categories we could, we could put here. But I want to kind of throw out the, the, four, four, the, the four that I think probably fit most of us in this room and those that are watching online. Here's the first one I would say. For some of us, there's just no prayer, right? Uh, maybe for some, we just don't believe in the magical sky genie, this thing called God that you pray to, and this God is supposed to answer your prayer. So maybe that's the reason some of us don't pray. For others of us, it, it could be that, that we've prayed and prayed and prayed for these moments in our life, and, and we prayed all, all, all these prayers, and yet it just never seemed like God ever answered those prayers. Maybe you felt like God was too busy, God had more important things to do, more important people to deal with, and and so for you, you just stop praying because, hey, if, if God's not going to answer, then I'm not going to pray. And this still for others of us, and this may be true for a place like this, we're just saying, hey, we're too busy. We look at our calendar, there's so much stuff going on, we're just so busy, and so for us, we're just like, hey, I, I just don't have time to pray. And so for some of us, we're going to fall into kind of this no prayer category, right? But for those of us who do pray, our prayers probably fall into one of these three categories. First, there's the ritualistic prayers. When um, back in college, I, I played baseball, and before every single game, our coach would get us all together, and he'd say, hey, everybody take a knee, and let's pray. And the prayer was the Lord's Prayer. And so for the next few moments, we'd pray this prayer together. Everybody take off their hats. Everybody's there kneeling. Everybody's praying. I didn't really think about it at the time, but, but as I kind of thought about this this week and was kind of looking back and thinking, the Lord's Prayer doesn't have anything in it about baseball, does it? There's nothing about strong pitching. There's nothing about hitting dingers. There's nothing about getting outs in that. And yet every single game, we would pray that prayer. Maybe for you, that's your prayer life, right? Your prayer is a ritualistic prayer. It's a prayer that you learned as a kid. It's a prayer that you more than likely learned at church. It may have been the Lord's Prayer, and you, you pray that prayer all the time, and that's your prayer life, all right? So some of us, we kind of fall into that ritualistic prayer. Others of us fall into robotic prayers. I have a small group of guys that meets, and we were talking through prayer this week, and one of the guys used this term, robotic prayers. I'm like, that's perfect. This is what I, I want to use on Sunday. Now, these are prayers that we pray that we didn't learn as a kid. We didn't learn in, in church. They're, they're not from history or from the Bible. They're just prayers that we pray that are our own words, but we pray the same prayer over and over and over again. In fact, if there's somebody who's really close to you, you, would, you could tell them, like, hey, can you pray my prayer and about verbatim? they would be able to pray your prayer because they've heard you pray the same prayer, maybe for years. And so for some of us, we kind of fall into that robotic prayer category. And then others of us, and maybe for quite a few of us, we pray prayers that are reactive prayers. That there are prayers in our life where we are reacting to something that has happened. Now, now the truth is these reactive prayers are rescue prayers, okay? That, that there's a problem, there, there's an issue, there's something going on in our life that's tough. And so we're jumping in to pray, and we're asking to be rescued from what we're going through. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Maybe it's a marriage that's crumbling. Maybe it's financial hardships. Maybe it's a report we just got back from the doctor. And so when those, those 
pieces of information come our way or when those events are happening in our life, that's the moment we jump in and pray. We feel like we're drowning. We feel like we are lost. We don't know which way to turn and what to do. And, and so in those moments, we, we pray that rescue prayer. Hey, God, rescue me from what I'm going through right now in my life. And so maybe for you, you're someone who prays those reactive prayers. Now hear me out. Before I continue on, let me say, I'm not saying that the Lord's Prayer is evil and you shouldn't pray it, all right? And, and I'm not saying that you can't pray the same prayer over and over again. And I'm also not saying that you shouldn't pray prayers when tough times hit and that should be the only time you pray. I, I'm not saying that at all. If that's the way that your prayer life kind of works, maybe that's where you need to be right now. But, but I don't think that our prayers should always fall into those categories. I, I think there's another way that we should pray, and that is prayers that are intentional. What are intentional prayers? Well, intentional prayers are dangerous prayers. And the reason's pretty simple. We are asking for God to do something specific in our lives. Now you might be saying, well, hold up a second. That's not a reactive prayer. But here, here's the deal with these prayers. Not only are we praying something specific, we are also expecting God to answer those prayers. And honestly, we're expecting God to answer those prayers the way that we want. But you need to know this. Even though we may have a place that, that we want to kind of land as we pray this prayer, what we want God to act on and, and the steps we want God to take, we also understand that God may not answer that prayer the way that we want. That God is God and God can answer our prayers however God wants to answer those prayers. But we go in understanding that God's prayer or God's answer to that prayer may be totally different than our desires. But we're willing to pray that prayer to God. We're willing to pray a specific prayer. And in that, expect God to answer it. Why? Because we believe that God will act. And in the end, what we're really doing is saying, hey, God, I trust you. And however this prayer ends up. There's a great example of this in the book of Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament. It's a... It's really a diary, a memoir, as we'll read here in a second, that Nehemiah writes about this time in his life and in the history of the Jewish people. We're going to spend all of our time in the book of Nehemiah this morning. It starts in Nehemiah chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Nehemiah writes this, says, These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. Nehemiah is concerned for Jerusalem in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. I was at the fortress of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked him about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. Now let me give you a little context of what we're reading here. In 586 BCE, King Nebuchadnezzar comes in, destroys Jerusalem, destroys the city walls, and exiles the Jewish people. Here in what we're reading today, this is around 445 BCE. So 141 years have passed since Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed the city. Well, over those 141 years, there have been these times where waves of the Jewish people who are in exile are coming back to Jerusalem. They're coming back to their homeland, right? Well, they get there and they decide, hey, we're going to rebuild these walls. And they start to rebuild them. And there's this one instance where this other country comes in and destroys the walls again. And so there's, there's apathy that's starting to set in. There's not really any good leaders in place to help them move forward. 
And so in the context of this, we meet this guy named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah has a job. We find this at the end of chapter 1. And his job is to be the cupbearer for the king. Now, what is the cupbearer? The cupbearer's job is basically he takes care of the winery of the king. And some of you are like, that's the job I want. Where do I sign up, right? And so he has this job. He's kind of important within this kingdom. He's got important connections with the king. But we meet him here in this time. Well, all this is going on in Jerusalem. Um, Nehemiah is with the king in this. It's really the winter home for the Persian kings there in Susa. And, uh, and his brother's there. His friends are there. And they're just kind of hanging out one day, right? Probably around the fire pit, smoking some stogies, talking about their Super Bowl predictions. And, and Nehemiah asks this kind of normal question. He's like, hey, how are things back home? Now, Nehemiah's never been there. He's a slave to the king, so he didn't know exactly what's happening there. But, but he knows that's kind of where his heart is, his people are. And he's like, what's going on? And, and again, that's a normal question we would ask. Someone comes to, to visit us or we see somebody we haven't seen in a long time from our hometown or we haven't been home for many years. We want to know, well, how are things back home? You know, how's so-and-so? Is my, my name still etched in that tree? You know, is the Waffle House still there on that corner? So he's asking these normal questions of these guys that are there, and, and they answer in this way in verse 3. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So his buddies that are there are like, hey, it's, man, it's not good. He says, the walls have been torn down. The gates have been destroyed. It is a huge mess. And you've got all these people that are living there, and they're vulnerable, and they're just trying to survive. I mean, it's really tough, Nehemiah. Verse 4, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah hears these words from his brother and from these guys, and he reacts. And how does he react? He really loses it, doesn't he? He, he mourns for them. He fasts for them. And look what else it says he does. He prays for them for days to the God of heaven. Well, here's the prayer he prays in verse 5. It says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. And then he says this, he says, please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Now notice what Nehemiah doesn't do here. He doesn't complain. He's not given up after he's heard this news, but he prays. 
And he prays because his heart is broken, right? His heart is broken because of what has happened to his city and to his people. So here he is asking God for this chance to talk to the king. Because what Nehemiah wants to do, he wants to go back home to Jerusalem. And he wants to rebuild this wall and the city. If you were to evaluate your prayer life and the kind of prayers you pray, what would those prayers look like? Are they ritualistic, robotic? Are they reactive to what's happening in your life? Or do you pray intentional prayers? Well, what are intentional prayers and what can we learn about them by looking at this story of Nehemiah? Well, let me share a few thoughts on intentional prayers this morning. Here's the first thing I would say is that intentional prayers are specific prayers. They're specific prayers. Um, if you've had kids or you've been around small kids, you know when they're little, like they have no words. Uh, they, they can't communicate. How they communicate when they want something. They point to it, they grunt, they scream, they yell, they throw a temper tantrum, right? And so if you're a parent or you're a babysitter, you're left to try to figure out what exactly they're trying to say to you. But at some point, they get this place where they can talk, especially when they become teenagers. <laughs> and you're like, please stop talking just for a moment. Just give us... <laughs> One little break. But here's what we know. When, when, when our children begin to use words, they can be very specific in what they're asking for. No matter how crazy it might sound or be to you and I. But at least we know, we know what they're asking for. How, how many times do you pray and not ask God for something specific? Because I'm guessing many of our prayers probably sound like, hey, God, do some good today. Hey, hey, God, um, help some people in the world. Hey, God, bless our community. Again, these aren't bad prayers, okay? I'm not saying these are bad, bad prayers, but I'm saying, can we be more specific in what we are asking from God? Because intentional prayers are specific prayers. There is a need that is there, and we ask God specifically to meet that need. There, there is brokenness, and we ask God specifically to heal and to mend that brokenness. Now, some of you are sitting there like, well, hold up, Chad. This sounds like reactive prayers. Some of it may be, but I want to take this a step further. There are times in your life where there's opportunities, right? There, there's a dream. There's a passion. There's a vision that you feel like God has given you. And you know what you're doing? You're specifically asking God to open those doors, to make those things happen in your life. Intentional prayers are prayers where we ask God for something specifically. And we're asking for God to answer that prayer. That's exactly what Nehemiah is doing here. Nehemiah says, hey God, grant me success. Soften the king's heart so that I can have this time to ask him this question. So that I can go back and help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Intentional prayers are specific prayers. But intentional prayers are also expectant prayers. Uh, if we are praying prayers where we are asking for specifics from, from God, then we should also go in expecting for God to answer that prayer. When you pray about your sickness and ailments, do you pray expecting God to heal you? When you're praying about a job change, a move, something to do with parenting or relationships, do you 
pray expecting God to guide you. When you pray for God to give you a child after years of infertility, you pray expecting God to give you that child. When you pray about finding the person you will marry and it seems like it's taken forever, do you pray expecting God to show that person to you? When you pray about your broken marriage and for a miracle to take place, do you pray expecting God to give you that miracle? When you pray for peace, when you pray to, to have forgiveness in your life and to give that, do you pray expecting God to give you that peace or to bring about that forgiveness? love what the psalmist writes in Psalm 6, 9. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. And intentional prayers are prayers where we ask God something very specific, and at the same time, we expect God to act on that. Now, again, like I said earlier, realizing God's plan for us and God's answer that, to that prayer may be very different than what we hoped for or wanted or desired or expected. But, but we go in praying, expecting God to do something, expecting God to answer. Nehemiah prays that prayer, expecting God to hear that prayer and expecting God to answer it. Intentional prayers are expectant prayers. But intentional prayers are also prompted prayers many times they are prompted prayers have you um have you ever been in your house before and just kind of sensed like something wasn't quite right not not just that but but like someone's in your house uh, a few years back kids were younger Kara and I are in the bed we're asleep the kids are in their bedrooms they're asleep and uh, I, I'm sleeping with uh, on my left side back to the door and I don't know how this happened, but I'm asleep, and I, I sense while I'm sleeping that something's not quite right in our house. In fact, I, I'm sensing that someone is in our room, okay? And uh, not just sensing that someone is in our room, but they're getting closer and closer to me, specifically. And uh, with my cat-like reflexes that I had back in the day, I reached my arm around because I, I knew they were right behind me, right? Grabbed them around the neck and pulled them and threw them on the bed. Real story, not lying, okay? Not a preacher story, real story. The good news is it was our oldest daughter, Savannah. <laughs> Somehow had stealthily got into our room without us hearing, just to say that she had to use the bathroom, of course. Uh, the bad news is I almost choked her out because I didn't know what was happening, right? Maybe you've had those moments in your life where there's just been this, this, this prompting in, 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 your, in your spirit, and your soul. You're just like, feel something I'm not quite sure what it is maybe it's someone or something but you just kind of feel prompted well we can be prompted to pray that there could be these moments in our life where we just feel like in our mind and our soul like man I'm supposed to pray for that person or I'm supposed to pray for that thing we call these prayer prompts uh, my wonderful wife Kara gets these all the time she just has these moments. She's like, man, I feel like I'm supposed to pray for them. Or we're supposed to pray for this, this particular person. And I have learned over the course of our marriage, when she says that, it's time to stop and pray. And, and the reason is what we have found is that almost every single time, in fact, every single time that she's felt this, we've had a conversation with those people at some later date. And they've said, oh, yeah, this was going on in my life at that moment. Maybe you have these times in your life where you feel like you should, should pray, right? 
You, you feel like you should spend a second or a moment praying for someone else. When, when we look at Nehemiah here, that's what happens to him. His intentional prayer is a prayer prompt. He just asks a simple question like, hey, how's everybody doing back home? And the response that he gets is, it's not good. It's terrible. People are trying to survive. They can't figure out what to do. We can't get the wall built. And this is the thing that prompts him to pray. What prompts you to pray an intentional prayer? Like, do, you, do you think it's a coincidence that that name popped in your head in the middle of the week? When you're doing something totally different, nothing has anything to do with that person, and, and that person just kind of keeps popping into your head, maybe that's God like, hey, I want you to pray for that person. Or, or maybe there's a conversation that takes place. It could be at home, it could be at work, on the phone, whatever it may be, out doing hobbies, and, and, and you're having a conversation with this person, you hear what's going on, and, and inside your spirit's kind of saying, hey, God, I want you to pray for this. Or again, maybe there's this opportunity, this, this vision, this dream God has put on your heart, and, and you feel it, and it's deep, and it's like, well, I'm just going to kind of ignore this. No, maybe, maybe that's God saying, hey, I want you to spend some time praying for what I've put on your heart. When you feel prompted to pray for someone, for something, for some place, some event, here's what you do. You pray for it. You pray specifically for it, and you pray expecting God to answer that prompt. Because so often, intentional prayers are prompted prayers. And then the last thing I would say about intentional prayers is that intentional prayers are powerful prayers. Uh, July 16th, 1969, it was when the first manned space flight landed on the moon, or it was heading to the moon. And there were three astronauts on that, uh, on that spaceship. There was Neil Armstrong, there was Buzz Aldrin, and the guy we all forget about, Michael Collins, right? I mean, we, we know the other two, and sometimes we forget about Mr. Collins. But um, Apollo 11 took off from launch pad 39A at Kennedy Space Center. And let me kind of give you some uh, numbers here about this particular uh, space journey. Their rocket weighed 102,907 pounds. And these rockets were carrying 5,625,000 pounds of propellant. And at takeoff, they endured 7,500,000 pounds of thrust. And, of course, that's just to get past the Earth's gravitational pull. And then at full speed, they're clocking in at 17,500 miles an hour. With a computer on board about the size of your toaster oven at your house, right? Think about that, because that just blows my mind. It's amazing to me to think about the power that was needed to get this, this rocket, to get these astronauts to the moon and back. But then to think how audacious that mission was in the first place. Back in 1961, then-President Kennedy said this, that I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. Over 400,000 technicians, scientists, and engineers worked on these Apollo missions. The cost in today's dollars would be over $100 billion. And over the course of nine years, there were 28 Apollo-related missions. And it all started from those words that President Kennedy said back in 1961. Those words were powerful, and they became reality. 
If you want to pray ritualistic prayers or robotic prayers or reactive prayers, I mean, pray them. Again, for some of us, that's, that's what we know. That's what we're used to. Pray those prayers. But if you want to pray powerful prayers, here's what I invite you to do. Pray intentional prayers. James writes this, chapter 5, verse 16. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. When we follow Jesus and we pray specifically, and when we expect God will act, those prayers are so powerful. And through those prayers, God can do amazing things. But there's something else to understand about these intentional prayers. If we go back to Nehemiah, we need to understand it wasn't just this one time he prays this prayer. From the time that chapter 1 happens to chapter 2, there's about three to four months that pass. I sense that Nehemiah, as he says there in his prayer, prays this prayer every single day, asking for God to give him this moment, to give him success so that he can go and speak to the king. And you know what God does through this intentional prayer? God answers his prayer. Nehemiah has the opportunity, is given the opportunity to speak to the king, and he shares with the king what he wants to do. He says, I want to go back, I want to help my people, I want to rebuild the wall and help rebuild this city. And if you know the story of Nehemiah, the king allows him to go do that. And I truly believe it was because of this intentional prayer that Nehemiah prayed. He goes back to the city, and after all the leadership problems that they're having, and, and they, they can't work together, and apathy has set in, and other nations are coming in trying to conquer them while they're doing this, Nehemiah through God, is able to rebuild those walls in 52 days. I think about that, and I'm like, that is the power of an intentional prayer. Because intentional prayers, they're powerful prayers. When you think about your prayer life, and you think about who you are and how you pray, again, maybe you fall into one of those other categories. And I, like I said earlier, I'm not saying that those prayers are wrong. I'm not saying those prayers are bad. But I really wonder what would happen if you and I prayed more intentional prayers. If we prayed to God and asked for specifics, and we, we were expecting God would answer those prayers for us, I know God would do incredible, amazing things in our life. And not only in us, but, but through us too. Because we're willing to pray those bold, intentional prayers. But there's something to remember about prayers, and maybe sometimes we just kind of gloss over this. When we, when we finish a prayer, we say, in Jesus' name, what? Amen. That word means, so be it. It means, so be it. It means, God, let it be so. We are praying this intentional prayer, and we are saying, God, here are the specifics. Here's what we are expecting. Can you do something powerful with this? And in the end, when we finish praying, we say, amen. God, make this happen. God, let this be so. God, it's now in your hands. I think too often we forget about that. Our job, our role is to pray those prayers. 
And again, I think our job and our role, if we're a follower of Christ, is to pray those intentional prayers. But in the end, we are, we are giving that prayer to God and saying, hey, God, now it's your turn. Let it be so. Do we believe in the prayers we pray? Or is it just something we do to say that we did it? Is it just something we do to, to put a little check in the check box, like check, prayed today? Or do we pray expecting God to answer those prayers? I challenge you this week to pray those prayers, to pray those intentional prayers with an expectation that God will answer them in amazing and powerful ways. Because in the end, we're saying, God, let it be so.